0: Good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and it is good to be with you Uh, today. We are uh, excited to be here, and uh, we have a lot to celebrate. Uh, You heard Nancy mention a moment ago the exciting stuff that's happening with our album, our first original worship album, which is so cool. And then I just want to quickly, before I get into the heart of what we're going to look at today, just celebrate something uh, that also happened last weekend. That was Easter. That was a, such an amazing weekend for our church. And it's a, you know at the heart of the Christian faith, it's this idea of a God who sent His Son that would, died for us and raised by God from the dead. And wow, what a celebration we had last weekend! I, if you were here, you know it was amazing. In fact, uh, what was really fun is last weekend we had hands down the most amount of people that have ever been to our church on a Sunday. Listen, this is so awesome. 2,100 people showed up at our church last week. More than that, actually. If you were here, you know that because they were everywhere. You could not escape people. And Soul City Kids had the most amount of kids ever come through there. It was so fun to see all that happened from the big find and then on to Easter Sunday. It's just so cool to see what God's doing. Here's the one that means the most to me and my hunches to you as well, is what was so fun last weekend was to see over 40 folks begin a relationship with Jesus last weekend here in our church. Isn't that so fun and exciting to see that real life change and Uh, And it's exciting to see it and and watch our church continue to grow in that regard. So such fun stuff. And today we're kicking off a new teaching series uh, called Real Talk. where We're going to talk really honestly and ask our big questions about God to God. And I think maybe, I'm not sure if you grew up with faith or church, but lots of times questions aren't always welcomed and can be even silenced or shut down. But we would think that just goes completely against the nature and character of God, that we can bring all of who we are to Him. And so we're going to ask some big questions. Real questions over the next couple weeks, and I, I love that our kids are at such an age and stage where they have no issues asking questions about God, and, and their questions are awesome. They make total sense. You know, I I get why they're asking their questions, and so I was reading through, uh, BeliefNet, this uh, website, had asked kids to ask their big questions of God and to send them in, and I was reading through this. The other day. And I thought, boy, kids just know how to ask an honest question about God. And so I thought I'd share a couple of those with you before we get into the big one that we're going to look at today and see if maybe you can't relate to what these kids are asking about God and who he is. First question I read came through, it says this, dear God, asks it in the form of a prayer, dear God, can you please put another holiday between Easter and Christmas? (laughs) There's nothing good there now. (laughs) It's kind of, I get it. I get it. That makes total sense to me. Uh, this next one's pretty awesome. Dear God, are you a ninja? Is that why I can't see you? <laughs> God is very stealth mode, God. Um, last one. Dear God, uh, this is actually really, I, this is a profound little question. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you've already got? <laughs> that makes sense, right? I get it and I get it. I, I, you know, For where we're going today, that is a very honest question. I think is at the heart of what we're going to be looking at today. Is God, why, why does there have to be pain and loss and suffering in this world? Why can't we just kind of hold with what we got and just kind of, why does there have to be pain and loss and suffering? And so we're going to look at a really big question. I think it's an important question for every one of us to ask. How could a good God, why would a good God allow bad things to happen in the world? Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Ever, you ever wonder that question yourself? You ever look, turn on the news and, and just have that go, okay, why, how could a good God allow bad things like this to happen? You don't need to really look all that far to find reason to ask this very big question. I mean, just think about what you see in the news. Countless wars and genocide, extreme poverty, when I mean, you just look around the world and go, "Okay, God, where are you? Where are you at with that?" You think about just what happened this last weekend here in Fairdale, Illinois, the tornado touching down, loss of property, loss of a way of life, loss of life. And you can watch the news and go, "Okay, wait, God, how, do you, how does a good God allow that bad of a thing to happen right in our backyard? Here in our city, you can look across our city. And you just think about the fact that right now, right now One in five children in the city of Chicago, one in five live under the poverty line. Now that's happening right now. Okay, God, if you're good, why are you letting kids? These are kids. And we can have kind of our big questions about God. They're not hard to come to. But if the problem of of, of pain were only sort of an out there kind of thing, so as we looked out on the world and said, yeah, what about that? What about that? My hunch is that we could probably insulate ourselves and isolate ourselves from the reality of that with some sort of cheap comfort that comes from answers. We could come up with a formula or something that explains it, and go, oh, that's why that happens out there. But the reality is, our question about why would a good God allow bad things to happen is not an out there question. At its heart, it's a right here question. It's a personal question. It's not like, okay, God, help me understand the bigger picture. It's, no, why do you allow bad things to happen to me? Forget everyone else. Forget everything else. Why does this actually happen to me? God, why would you allow my wife to get sick? God, why would you allow my dad to die? God, why would you allow my marriage to come to an end? God, why can't you provide me with a job? If you're so good, why don't you do a good thing and stop these bad things from happening, not out there, but right here? here to me? This is not only a theological question, this is a personal question. This is between you and God. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is walk through a biblical framework that might give some context to where pain and loss and suffering come from, where they're at, where God is at in the midst of it, and where we're at in the midst of it. And then after that, what I want to do is take you to one of my favorite little passages of the Bible and look, just go a little bit deeper at a next step that you and I, in fact, every single one of us can make when we face pain and loss in our life or as we are facing it right now, today. So for the next few moments, I, I want to use the flip chart. Now, you know it's serious if there's a flip chart involved. I'm not use these a lot. So we're going to class today, all right? So we're going to use the flip chart. I'm going to try and draw this as best I can to help illustrate the, the reality and sort of the source of and the even point and purpose of pain in our lives. So let's start. We'll start, with, uh, we'll start with God. That seems like the right place to start. All right. So we'll start with God. And if you're familiar with the story of God and you've maybe read through the Bible before, at least started, then you know this part, that God uh, already existed in, in the context of heaven beyond sort of this world, in the perfect context of the Trinity, the community of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God had everything that God needed, wanted, all was right there in that relationship. But God said to himself, said to the Trinity, okay, let's make people in our image. This is where the story starts, okay? So God begins a creative work and he begins to create a universe and set up a whole structure For this little world that he created, we call earth, to exist. And then right in the middle of that world, he puts you and me. He creates us. So God says, let us create people in our image that we might have, that God might have relationship with them. This is a creative act. This is an act of love. And God says, I want to be in loving relationship with people. Now, this is what's so very, very, very interesting. God says, I want to be in a loving relationship with you. And love cannot exist without choice. There is no real love without real choice. Would you agree? You cannot have real love without choice. Real choice. I mean, you, you, you just can't, God can't create people to say, you are going to love me. That is your order. You have to do the thing that I made you to do. You have to love me. If you don't have a choice, that's not love. That's like a car. That's like how a thing works. That's not how a relationship works. Real love has to have a real choice. Think about this. You already know this. You, those of you who've been in love or who are in love, you know that there's a lot of emotions and a lot of fun that goes with that. And then there's every other day, right? <laughs> When it's a choice and you go, no, I choose to love you through this act in this day, I choose for another season to love you. There is no real love without a real choice. Think about it. If someone is breaking up with you, have you ever tried to talk someone out of breaking up with you? How well did that go? They were exercising there choice, and it wasn't you. And so you cannot force anyone to love. You can only give them the option to choose. And God says, I love you so much. I will let you choose. Now, here's the reality. You can't have real love without real choice, and you can't have real choice without real loss. It's not a choice if there's not the potential of loss or pain in the mix. If it's just both yay, if it's both yes, then that's not a choice, is it? There has to be real potential, at least, for loss or for pain for it to be a real choice, and it can't be real love without a real choice. So God says, I'm going to give you a choice to love me. Now, at the same time, what is happening is that there was an actual rebellion in heaven where an angel named Lucifer, you may be familiar with the story, said to God, I want your power, I want your throne, I'm going to take it from you. This is what the Bible tells us happened. And so God says, nope, not going to happen. And so he is like defeated, like really defeated. And God kicks him out of heaven. And so he comes into earth. And we have lots of different names for him, Lucifer, uh, Satan. The Bible talks about him as the enemy. He is an enemy of God. And he is cast out of heaven and is allowed to then exist in this new context of earth. And he hates God. And because God loves you, he hates you. It's part of the context of how we get there to understand how pain and loss comes. So this enemy hates God, and because he hates God so much, he hates you and is going to do whatever he can do to destroy you, because if he can destroy you, maybe he can destroy God. So this is a very real thing that's happening. If you're familiar with the story in Genesis 1 and 2, and then leading into Genesis chapter 3, there was a moment where the enemy had deceived and had led Adam and Eve to a place of choice where he said, man, you think think God's maybe holding out on you? I think there may be more here. And he led them to a place of going and kind of accepting the temptation he gave to eat from the one tree that God had planted in the garden where God said, no, anything but this one tree. And yet, because God loved them enough to give them a choice, they chose. And they chose against God, they chose for themselves. And that's when sin enters into the world. Okay? Okay. You tracking? So so now we have sin. We have the real choice, real love, real potential for loss and pain. And now sin enters into our story with God. And it comes in with a fury. Because God even says to Adam and Eve, they can no longer live in the perfection of the garden that they had been living in, in perfect relationship with God. God says, you can no longer stay here. And so he has to kick... Adam and Eve, who he created out of the garden, just like he had to kick Lucifer out of heaven. He said, you cannot be here in this place of perfection anymore. And as they're leaving the garden, God promises them something. And not only promises them that he's with them, that there will be a savior, but there's going to be pain. And there's going to be loss. And in fact, he says, your work, work is going to be hard. And I think we can all get an amen to that one. He says to Eve, having children is going to be painful. Full. Those of you who have had children can give an amen with clenched teeth to that one. (laughs) And then he says that the unity and equality that the two of you have been created to share is now shattered. Now there will be power struggles between men and women. And it's going to be hard. And it will lead to a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of loss. And every one of us has experienced some taste of that in our life. And so God says there's now this reality of pain and loss in this World, because of sin, because of the fact that God loves you enough to give you a choice. And this is essentially the cycle and the rhythm of the Old Testament, that there's a God who loves us and is making a way, but he is above our sin and above this pain, but he's trying to make a way in. He's making a way, multiple ways for us to have a relationship with him, but we keep choosing everything else other than him and the pain and the loss is real in fact in the old testament it's palpable and this is what is so interesting to me about the christian faith at least is that it's honest about pain in the world It's honest about loss. Why would you put a book called Lamentations in the Bible where people are calling out and crying out to God? Why would you put a story like Job in the Bible? This is not supposed to be on the pamphlets for Christianity. Oh, also, we should let you know you might suffer and lose everything in your life. That's not something you sell this faith with. And yet God says, no, 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 this is a part of it. I want to be honest about this. In fact, the entire book of Psalms stands as testament to people saying, it's hard There's loss, there's pain. It is the soul of the Old Testament. God, where are you? Where where are you? If you're so good, why do my enemies literally line up around me? God, just smite my enemies heartily and mightily. You've prayed these prayers too, by the way, just different language. Smite my boss, smite my ex-girlfriend. You've prayed these (laughs) prayers as well. It's all evidence of evil in the world. And that things are not as they were or as they should be. But they're not the end of the story. This is the whole Old Testament. And God says, okay, I'm going to make a way to you through my son Jesus. Now, this is what is so fascinating. God says, I'm going to make a way for you to have a relationship with me through Jesus. And Jesus comes into the earth and suffers. Comes in as one of us, fully one of us, and fully experiences the human condition that we know called loss and suffering and pain. The Bible talks about how he was someone greatly familiar with pain and with loss and with suffering. We see it personally in the accounts of his life. There were friends who betrayed him. Ever have someone betray you? Friends who abandoned him. Friends who died on him. People who wouldn't accept him, who rejected him. Plots against his life. And then ultimately we see on the cross as he's hanging there, suffering literally physically for us. He cries out and he says, God, where are you? you. I think he is familiar with suffering. I think he has a little something that he knows about this. And God says, I'm not only going to send my son to be with you, to be one of you, and not only is he going to suffer with you, he's actually going to suffer for you. This is the big turn that his death and resurrection, which we just celebrated Easter last weekend, that's the turning point where a Savior who suffers actually ultimately suffers for us to pay the price of the cycle of sin and all that it had done to our lives. We have a God who now through Jesus says, I know, I know, I know, I know. Your pain, I know your suffering. In fact, it is God himself who offers up his own son and watches as his son is crucified and the loss of life. We have a God who is familiar with our pain and suffering, but who refused to allow us to be at a distance from him in the midst of it and said, I am going to send one to you who will not only suffer like you, but will suffer for you. And through his death and resurrection, you can have relationship with me. The cycle of sin can be broken. It doesn't mean that pain and loss are just sort of wiped away and everything. Nope. Jesus, in fact, himself said in this world, you will have trouble, but you can take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I've overcome all of this. There will still be pain and loss and suffering, but now you have a way through and it's through me. See, what God is doing here is that he is letting us know that he is not only greater than our pain and suffering, but he is all in with us through the pain and suffering and loss of his son. All the other major world religions talk about pain and suffering. I have yet to find one that would go to this length. I will suffer with you, and ultimately, I will suffer For you, so that you can actually know me. And the beautiful part of the story is God says, because here's why. This even isn't the end of the story. There's a bigger picture than this big picture. And the Bible talks about the reality of this thing called heaven. And it's where we get to dwell with God for eternity, where the Bible promises that there is no pain, no suffering, no more tears perfect unity and community with God throughout eternity in the context of heaven. God says this is a temporary thing. This is not the end of the story. It is a part of the repercussions of sin, which came from a choice, which ultimately came from love, but it is not the end of the story. There is something greater coming, and that's the hope that we cling to, and that you already know. You would not live in the Midwest if you did not believe in spring. You already know that there is a greater thing coming. And so every winter when we're in the midst of complaining and crying and calling out and believing that God has forsaken us because it snowed the first week of April, we know that there's a bigger story, and spring is coming. And God says there's a bigger story, heaven is the place where you will dwell free from pain and loss and sin and suffering with me for eternity. And Until then, God says, I've provided a way through. I've provided a taste of this here. And it's through my son. It's through what he's done with you, ultimately, and for you. Now, this is as best I can try and give context. I mean, this is a lot of Starbucks napkins that I was drawing this out this (laughs) last week and trying to make it all make sense at some level, give a context as to the why there's pain and loss and suffering, bad things in the midst of a good God. But my hunch is, is that even when I explain it all like that and I give my nice little diagram and That there's not a single person in this room for whom your pain or suffering that you might be going through right now all of a sudden just went away by me drawing this diagram on the board. That even understanding why, as important as that is, giving context, (laughs) that doesn't wave a magic wand and make pain and loss and suffering go away, does it? No. I mean, think about it. This last week, we were on spring break with our kids down in Florida. It was such a great time, and... We were, we were in Miami one day walking through showing the kids Miami's so fun. And Gigi had fallen kind of behind us a little bit. And so she was walking behind us and she tripped and fell and scraped her leg up pretty good. And, and she was really hurt on two levels. One, she was physically hurt that she had fallen. And then two, she was emotionally hurt that we didn't notice. We just kept walking. And so now she's hurt compound hurt on multiple levels here one the knee and then the soul has just been wounded because we didn't notice we just happened to be a little bit ahead of her and so she came stomping up you know half limping stomping up to us to let us know how hurt she was and she was crying and i could see it i felt so bad and so can you imagine in that moment as a father or as Jeannie, as her mother in that moment to get down and say okay Gigi, let me explain to you why you're hurt the reason you're hurt is because there's a force in the world called gravity that God created that holds everything together. And What happened was you weren't holding our hand and you weren't walking with us and so you fell behind and when you tripped and fell, that's why when your skin hits a hard object like that, what's going to happen is it's going to cause an abrasion and a wound. And Now Jesus, let me explain to you what's going to happen and why you're going to scab up over the next couple of weeks. What's going to happen is your white blood cells are going to work together in your body to actually heal you and there's a lot of work going on. There's going to be a hard, red, gross surface on top of your knee, and it's only going to be there for about two to three weeks, or seven to eight weeks if you pick at it. If I were to get down and explain to her why she's hurting, do you think that would help her in that moment? I could spend the rest of the day trying to explain to you why there is pain and loss, sin and suffering in our world. But my hunch is what you want to know is what my little girl wants to know. Will it be okay? What she wants to know is not a scientific like explanation. What she wants to know is, will, Daddy, will you, will you take care of me? Will 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 I be okay? Will it be okay? And see, I think this is a fundamental shift in our big question and very important question about why a good God would allow bad things to happen. I think it's a question every one of us has to ask and it's not a why question. That's a great place to start, but why does not speak to the deepest needs of your soul? The better question is a who question. Who are you, God? Who are you? Are you good enough and great enough for whatever it is that I'm going through? I think that might be a better question. And In fact, you might want to grab a pen and write this down because this might be a better question for you personally to wrestle with. Anytime you come into a season of pain or loss or suffering, is God great enough, great enough, that means powerful enough to be above and greater than my pain or loss or suffering? And is he good enough? Do I really believe he loves me? Do I really believe that this pain or loss or suffering doesn't need to have to be a punishment for something or that God has turned his back on me that I actually know that he's good enough, that he has experienced pain and loss and suffering himself? And so my question is, God, are you great enough to carry me through it? Are you good enough to stay with me, God, all the way through? Now you can ask that very important question and come to the end and go, I don't believe God is. And in fact, that may be a conclusion you've come to. I don't think God is great enough. I don't think he is good enough to handle, to take care of me in the midst of this pain or this loss or suffering. And many folks, smart, intelligent, well-intentioned people say, I don't think you are God. And so you can Eliminate God from the equation. You can come to that conclusion to say, God, I just don't think you are. You're not good enough. You're certainly not great enough because it's still here and I keep feeling it, so you're out of the equation. But you know what you can't do by doing that? You can't eliminate pain and suffering from the equation. You can eliminate God, but you're still going to face pain and suffering and loss. And so the question is, would you rather walk through it with him or without him? because we will face pain and loss and suffering in this life and in this world. And the real question is a who question. God, who are you? And I believe it's also a what question. What are you going to do? What are you gonna do about the pain and loss and suffering in my life? What I found to be true in my life is that when I come into a season of loss or pain or suffering it doesn't make sense to me, what I have found oftentimes that God is giving me is a gift. And regardless of where it comes from, there is a gift that can come from the pain and the loss of my life, as as just counterintuitive as that may seem. But it's not any gift. I I don't know if you can tell, but this is a gift wrapped in sandpaper. And that's how it feels, doesn't it? This is a gift from God that the pain or suffering or loss of our life is honestly, if we were to be honest, it is what changes, transforms. This is where we grow the most. This is where our faith is most formed. When you are at the bottom and you are utterly dependent on God and you have no other options, this is actually can be seen as a gift. But the reality is it's wrapped in sandpaper and it hurts. And I don't want it. No, thank you, God. Return to sender. I don't want it. But if I'm willing to trust who God is, then I will be able to see what God can do with my pain. that there might even, in fact be purpose. You may not see it today. You may not see it tomorrow, but there can be a gift, albeit wrapped in sandpaper, a gift to the pain, the loss and suffering that you've incurred in your life. You think about it in your life. Tell me it isn't true that the times that you've grown the most, been shaped the most by God has come from when you faced real loss or suffering in your life. So it's not only a why question, it's a who question. And it's not only a who question, it's a what question, God. What can you do with and through this? And so I just want to close by giving you a snapshot from one of my favorite little passages of the Bible. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show you who God is and what he can do with the pain that you may be facing or will one day face. So if you would grab a Bible and open to page uh, 803 in these gray Bibles, there should be a gray Bible in your seat back here in this room, also in our overflow space. You should see it under your seat. Turn to page 803, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at who God is in the midst of our pain and what he does and what he can do with the gift of pain that so often comes wrapped in sandpaper in our life. This is what it says in... 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll look at verse 3. Look what Paul writes. A man who is himself familiar with great suffering, great pain, great loss. Says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of, what's the word? The Father of? Compassion. compassion. Not just answers. Those are great. But he's the Father of compassion. And the God of all what? Comfort. The God of all Comfort. Now, this is so important because that's who God is. He's the God of compassion. He wouldn't have done this if He wasn't. That's the goodness of God. He's the God of all comfort. He's the one who actually can do something with this. In and through us, even in the midst of it. And he goes on to write this in verse 4 who comforts us in our troubles. That is what God does. He comforts us. It doesn't say here that He makes Him go away, it doesn't say that He just sort of makes it all easy. He comforts us in the midst of the reality of pain and loss and suffering that every one of us face. Now, I love this because this is where it turns, and the gift really becomes a gift. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is only God who can take something as painful, a loss, suffering in your life, and can not only comfort you and walk you through it, but then says, so that you can actually then be comfort to others who also are experiencing pain and loss with the comfort you received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, just as he suffered just like us, we all are familiar with suffering, we're all familiar with pain, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Because he suffered, suffering is not the end of the story for me. And it actually can be a gift, not only for my growth and my faith, but one that I can offer you when it all hits the wall for you. That I can re gift <laughs> the gift of pain and loss in my life and actually give purpose to it by saying, I know. I know. And I don't have a ton of answers for you, I can't, but I know a God who says, I know. I know familiar with our pain and suffering, and is actually the one who provided the way through for you and me. Only God could take something as destructive as sin and pain and death and loss and make a gift out of it. And I want to show you just briefly what that looks like through the life of a friend of mine who's a part of this church and who himself for the last decade or so, has suffered greatly physically, but has chosen to cling to who God is and what God might be able to do, even through something he would not have chosen. So will you welcome my friend Tim Swanson to join me on stage right now. Tim, I'd love for you to uh, share with us your own story. I know your story. It, it's the story of physical pain and suffering that that's part of the story and uh, I want I want you to hear kind of what this looks like in real life and in real time uh, but before we get to the specifics want you tell us just briefly about kind of your faith story growing up before this last decade or so where was God at in your life growing up
1: yeah you know I- I'd say I had a very easy kind of faith story, a very fortunate kind of faith story. Uh, Amazing family that I grew up in, a God-fearing family. Um, Faith just sort of happened and existed. A relationship with God was... Kind of there. Uh, And as a kid, it was uncomplicated. I I, I was unaware of the sort of the layers that could possibly happen in the life. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it was so great. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) But you didn't stay there, obviously, and that God had a greater gift for your faith and for your growth. And so why don't you talk just a little bit about sort of physically some of the stuff that you've been suffering through and how the awareness of that and and what that's led to. Yeah.
1: So uh, as you mentioned, about a decade ago, um, I started feeling pain. Uh, pain around my body but I chalked it up to sleeping wrong or uh, playing too hard or all sorts of things mm. um, and it got progressively worse about mm. two years ago uh, got honest with my wife about it mm. got honest with Beth that I couldn't sleep, I mm. couldn't function um, I couldn't remember things um, oh. and it and it freaked me out.
0: And did you have any sense of what it was? No clue Okay.
1: no clue and so um, again the uh, The faith was there, and this was a thing that we could deal with. Sure. Uh, We saw doctors, we saw specialists, we tried treatments. I Mm. I, I tried all sorts of drugs, I ate every sort of vegetable. I tried everything I possibly could. You even ate vegetables? So many vegetables. (laughs) Um, Things really were bad. It was bad, (laughs) and it just got worse. and, and, and so we, we had a hunch and, and we were working with a team of doctors who thought it might be mm. my immune system attacking my body. And so we progressed uh, progressively destroyed my immune system, took it down mm. to see if that could slow this process down. Mm. Um, and that ushered in a brand new season, a season of mm. um, brain infections and spinal infections. Wow. Hospitals here in Chicago wow. uh, traveling back and forth for months up to Mayo. For the Mayo to, to see the, the, the kind of best and brightest and see what they could show me. Um, and it was just empty. I was done. Uh, and, I, and I was frustrated. Mm. Um, why me? Yeah. What did I do? How can I yeah. pray differently? Right. What can I do, God, to please you or to fix this or to mm. get back and get mm. close to you? Mm.
0: So there's no answers coming as to what this is, but you're still feeling all of the effects and the weight of it, and then the question starts to get really personal how, how did that so how has these, how have these last two years shaped an, uh, your relationship with God from an easy, kind of comfortable <laughs> one to now like, okay, this is happening that's not going away to where you're at with with God now how's that shaped to yeah
1: who you are? I, I was uh I was asking it wrong,
0: and and in that whole season,
1: um, we had just started coming to Soul City. Um, mm-hmm. We, while we were traveling back and forth to Mayo, people who barely knew us took our mm-hmm. son Josiah into mm-hmm. their house, uh, into their home, into their family meals, took mm-hmm. care of him in the most amazing ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple, the Wilson family in in Rochester, Minnesota, took us out of this horrible hotel room mm. uh, that we just sat and sulked every night mm. without answers and into their home and into their prayers mm. uh, and and welcomed us in. And through that process, we realized that God was there the whole time. Mm. Uh, he didn't go away. He wasn't this distant God. He wasn't this distant good God for other people. Yeah. He was a good God for me. Yeah. Um, and we we don't have answers. Um, yeah. I still have pain. Yeah. I struggle to remember the simplest things, yeah. but I feel like God's making me mm. a better person, a better friend, a more yeah. sort of connected individual because I have mm. to look at you. I've got mm. to read your face now mm. to, to have a conversation. I have to be present. Mm. My, my body reminds me that I, I'm mortal here and right. I'm in the world. Yeah. He's using this story for me in ways that I would have never written, never. Yeah. but yeah. he's written it so much better.
0: Wow. Well, Tim, I am so blown away by and so grateful for the growth that I've seen in you since I met you a couple years ago and the way that God has woven our lives together. You are a beautiful example and a powerful example to me of someone who's asking the right questions. So thank you so much. Can we thank Tim for being here? I think you saw and got a glimpse of even in Tim's story there that When we get to that bigger question, okay, God, who are you? Are you good? And what might you want to do with this and through this? God, might you actually want to grow something in me out of this that I would never have chosen, but I'd never be the same without? And I can walk you through the losses of my life and how I wish I would love to take them all back. Nope, wish it wouldn't have happened, wish they wouldn't have happened, but I would not be who I am with you here today were it not for those things. So can I get to a place where I say, okay, God, I'm going to trust that you have provided a way through because you sent the one who suffered for, suffered with, and suffered for me. I think that's an important thing for us to just reflect on. And so for, for this next moment, we're going to move into a time of receiving communion, the elements that Jesus gave us and taught us to remember and remind ourselves of the reality of what God has done through Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever caught this before. They're very striking images. He takes ordinary table things. He's bread and he takes wine. But do you remember what he said that they actually represent? A body broken, blood poured out, spilled as a sacrifice for my my sin and yours. Even when we come to the table, we find a Savior who suffered. And if that's not at the very least encouragement for you, I don't know what is. It's my salvation that I know that there's a God who did this with me, and he did this for me, and that I can come to him with my pain and my loss, and I can choose to do what we're about to do, come to him and say, okay, one more day, one more week, you better be good. You better be good, God. Because I'm kind of banking it all on you, because I don't see a lot of other options right now. I'm against the wall. I would not have chosen this. This is not what I wanted. But God, I'm coming to you and believing that you will be, that you are good. And so I'm going to invite you to come over these next few moments to the table. Ushers, volunteers are going to dismiss each row and when you come all you got to do is take a piece of bread and you break it off there it is broken the way that Jesus' body physically suffered for us and you can dip that in the cup that's like his blood representing that it was shed for us suffered for us so that we could actually be with god what a great reminder for us today as we come to the table all are welcome to come and we'll respond and close with a song that's at the heart of it all so will you join me in a prayer right now as we come to the table, as we are, to a God who is already here and with us. Jesus, thank you that you are the why and the who and the what and the how of it all. And I pray that we have, I pray that God, you've given us a greater understanding, a greater context for the reality of pain and loss and suffering, but I pray more so than that, that there would be something tugging inside of us, something pulling against hope against hope, God, that you actually are good and that we can come to you and find that you are closer than we ever even imagined. And so, God, we come to you with all our questions. We come to you with all of our pain and our loss, but we thank you that we can come to you. And so that's what we choose to do over these next few moments. We come to you, Jesus, our cornerstone, our one that we've banked it all on and built it all on, the one who suffered for us so that we could have life in the midst of our own pain and suffering. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we come and receive your body and your blood. Amen. Amen. I invite you as the ushers dismiss you to come to the table, both here in the front and in the back as well.